Bible with you, there should be a paperback Bible right there in front of you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you this morning. There's no greater gift than God's Word. When you get to Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, look up at me and say, He will be praised. All right, upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and because we are thankful to God for his word, we will respond, thanks be to God. Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things, and he knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside. We're glad that you're here today on a beautiful Sunday, man. It didn't rain this Sunday. All right. Great. Well, hey, we're glad that you're here. And today we are finishing up our journey. It's been nine weeks, six chapters, and almost 200 verses that we have walked through in the book of Daniel. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to recap what we have looked at and walk back through because we have covered so much. And I would encourage you guys, if you've missed this or, or, or any sermons or anything, you can go back to the website, check out any of those messages. But if I was to summarize for you, if someone said, Jason, summarize the book of Daniel, one picture, jelly on the bottom shelf, what is the book of Daniel about? I would show you this picture. It's actually a pretty famous picture, and so I don't know if you in the back can see it, but this is actually a picture of a Nazi parade in the 1930s, and they're revealing a new tank. So what was difficult about the World War is that Nazi Germany had some of the most sophisticated tanks, actually, and they were just blowing American tanks out of the water, and so they were showing all of their might. Everybody is giving, almost everybody is giving the Nazi salute but one dude, (laughs) and he is arms folded like, nah, I'm not buying any of this. And to me, that just literally captures the book of Daniel. But as Paul Harvey would say, there's the rest of the story behind this photo. So that guy in the photo is that it has a name, August Landsmere. And he was actually a part of the Nazi regime in the beginning. The Nazi regime was sort of taking over Germany and everyone was signing up and as he got deeper and deeper in he sort of became disillusioned and realized what was happening and then he fell in love with a young Jewish woman by the name of Irma Eckler and because of that he was tried and found guilty you can look this up he was actually tried under the cause of dishonoring the race because he was dating Irma Eckler. They tried to get married. He was sent to the penal party, which is the party that serves on the very front lines, and they die in battle. And then Irma was sent to a concentration camp later where she died. But what I love about this photo and the story behind this is that's a lot like Daniel. I mean, you've got a guy in the midst of everything that's taking place who is standing out. He's not participating in everything that's going on. And what we've seen as we've journeyed through the book of Daniel is just that. 
And what we've said is the reason why the book of Daniel is relevant for us today is because Daniel is from a different country and he is living in a foreign land. And he is someone who loves God but lives in a country that hates God. And that's actually very relevant for us in 2018. Because number one, we understand as Christians, ultimately, this is not our home. That was a good spot for an amen. You're the 11. I expect you to be a little more alert. Let's do it again. Ultimately, as Christians, we understand that this is not our home. All right, good. Good deal. And what we realize is our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And so we're just passing through here. But secondly, we studied and looked at... Actually, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, when you look at society, it was really important and almost detrimental for you that you join a local church. So here's what it looked like. In 30s, 40s, 50s, and the early 60s, if you moved towns because of your job, it was massively important for you for that following Sunday to find a church and to join a church. Um, it, it was actually looked down upon in the community if you were, you know, had a position of, of authority in the community or anything like that. If you weren't a member of a local church, that actually hindered you. <laughs> and now look at 2018, right? Now it's almost the exact opposite. It can actually hinder your job if you are outspoken about that or are someone of particular beliefs. So how are we to live in light of this? And we see this story through the rest of the New Testament. Peter addresses the early Christians and says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Exiles. Someone who is from a different country who's living in a foreign land. And that's just like us as Christians today. So the book of Daniel has been very, very relevant for us as to how to deal with these topics. But today, here's what we want to do. It would be a shame if we spent nine weeks, looked at six chapters, studied almost 200 verses, and it did not affect the way that we live. The book of James says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You see, the reason why we study books of the Bible and we study the Bible is because we see the nature and character of God. And in light of that, in turn, we live differently. We live differently because of that. So we're going to look through and recap the number of truths that we've learned in this. The first truth that was just blatant all over the book of Daniel is this. That God is sovereign. That God is sovereign. We're going to bounce around today, but look at Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. Love to hear those Bible pages turning today. Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury there. What we learned is, is even in the midst of tragedy, even in the people of Judah getting captured by Babylon, that the quiet hand of God is all through the book of Daniel. That it wasn't necessarily Babylon that conquered, but it was so much more so the hand of God that allowed it to happen. And the sovereignty of God is a big concept, and we learned this That the sovereignty of God is the biblical teaching 
that all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. Now, that's a big truth. That's a difficult one to swallow almost as well. And what the sovereignty of God is not is a concept of theology that we would argue about over Facebook or differ over. But rather, any time that we see something about the nature or character of God in Scripture, like we said, that changes something in us. So how is the sovereignty of God important to us in our everyday life? Pastor John Piper, who I've quoted a lot, who's made a profound impact on my life, pastored for almost 30 plus years in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And for being a pastor that long in one single church, he saw a lot of things. But he records one of the toughest moments in his pastorate was they ran multiple services and he was preaching that day on the sovereignty of God. And he was doing it out of a really peculiar text, out of when it says, God says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I've hated. Like a difficult thing, like deep, deep theology. And during his sermon in the balcony sat a 70-year-old elder and his wife. And during the worship service, the elder had a heart attack and passed away and died. The ambulance came, police officers were there, and they ushered everyone out. And then it was starting to be time for the second service. And he was back there, and he was crying. He goes, God, how, what am I supposed to do? We just had someone die. How am I supposed to teach on this? Well, I mean, what is going on, this deep theology? And he just felt a still, small voice say, just continue and preach. As he mounted the pulpit and began to start his sermon, he looked up in the very spot and saw the wife of the elder, now a widow. Just an hour earlier, her husband sat next to her but is now dead. So he preached, and afterward the wife came up to him and he said, What are you doing here? Why did you come? And she said, Pastor John, where else would I go? I had to hear that God was in control. You see, theology is not something that we just study. We don't just look at the book of Daniel to get head knowledge. But here's a question that can apply for you. What is your anchor in the midst of tragedy? Like, think about that. What holds you down when everything else is falling apart? What is your anchor there? And what we've seen through Daniel is what stays amidst anything is the sovereignty of God. The second truth that we looked at is this, is the enemy has a strategy. We've understood this. Look at chapter 1, verse 7. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. So we looked that when they live in a different culture, what the strategy of that culture is, is to distort their view of God. Literally to change everything about them. And where that starts is it starts at your identity. That they changed their names, changed the way, tried to change the way in which they would worship. And do you know how true that is for us in 2018? That you live every day 
with commercials and Matthew McConaughey telling you, you need to buy this Lincoln. And every aspect of everything tells you that your life would be happier if you did blank. And the workplace and everything. And maybe this will help. This is a picture of a couple of years ago of our family dying Easter eggs around Easter time. And so probably a lot like you guys do the same thing. And for parents, it's a nightmare because you end up dying everything, right, in the house. Well, I mean, what do you do when you die Easter eggs, right? You, you take the egg and you put it in dye. And then the egg changes color and takes on that color. You've got to understand that that's your temptation every day that you are submerged into a godless culture every day. And the pressure is to take on and to look like that. So a question of application for you is this. How are you protecting your identity? And here's what I mean by that. Who are you surrounding yourself with? My wife this week was dealing with something, and she said, you know, right now... I could make one of two phone calls. I could call people that would tell me what I want to hear. Or I could call people who tell me what I need to hear. Do you understand the difference in that? Are you surrounding yourself with people that are speaking life into you? Not people who are downing their own husband or their own wife, and then you get into the brigade and the parade. How are you protecting your identity? Because listen, if you're not setting those things up, you're already being submerged into that. But we learned something else, that it's not the idea to completely separate from the culture, but we learned that Christians engage the culture. The world that we live in, we don't just separate from it, but we actually engage it. And look in verse 20 of chapter 1. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the Harry Potters and the enchanters that were in his kingdom. Right? So what we saw is is that Daniel and his friends didn't completely remove themselves from the culture. And what the great temptation is, is for Christians, is to do one of two things. To either separate completely from the culture, make picket signs, ah, we're against this, ah, right? We love Jesus, but we're mad about it, right? To separate, boycott, do all the, you know, I don't know. I mean, Christians are busy boycotting stuff, man. I don't even know what they can buy anymore. You know what I mean? Separate, separate. We don't see that in Daniel. And then the next great error is to saturate. You're just, Christians are no different, right? You go to a church and it's like a self-help seminar. There's nothing distinctly Christian about Christians anymore. But what we see through Daniel is is that we infiltrate the culture. And what that means is, is that we have an allegiance to our king and to our kingdom. So here's what this means. We need people to be on city council. We need school teachers. We need police officers. We need stay-at-home moms. We need all of that stuff because we need Christians to engage the culture of Popper Bluff. We're not going to change Popper Bluff 
by separating from Popper Bluff. So we serve in areas. We engage that. So here's a question that's profound. It's this. Is the culture I live in better because of my faith? That's what we see. Like what's so profound in Daniel is, is that he's serving these kings, that he's in pagan Babylon, but Babylon is prospering because he's there. The kings want Daniel around because he's someone of integrity. He's someone of character. That Babylon is better. Listen, listen, look up here. Is Popper Bluff better because of Westside? That's a question I ask myself. Because that's the difference that Christians should be making. Is your workplace better because you work there? Is your home better? Listen, and here's what's crazy. Some of you are missionaries just as if you were traveling overseas to Africa. Because some of you are the only Christians in your family. And you leave here and you go home. Or at your workplace. And so we're missionaries who, who infiltrate this culture. And the question that we should be asking is, is my faith and the life that I'm living making a difference where I'm at? Christians engage the culture. The fourth thing that we saw is this, God's wisdom outweighs the world's wisdom. Look in chapter 2, verse 28. Starting in verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man... No enchanters, magicians, or astrologers. So in 2018, we would say there's no scientist, there's no philosopher, there's no lawyer, there's no president can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to you the king. What we see constantly through the book of Daniel is that the human condition really hasn't changed. Now, it may have evolved a little bit, but the human condition is the same. There is an eternal longing. As the book of Ecclesiastes says, God has placed eternity in the heart of every man. So what does that mean? That means that's why we're always longing and things are never satisfying us. But look at our culture. Our culture constantly suggests things all the time, right? Right, So you need this and seven ways to please him and then do this. And then, and then next month, it's eight ways to please and to do. But what's funny is we're seeing all of this stuff of how to please and how to satisfy. But next month, another issue comes out. Nobody's ever satisfied, man. Our culture is constantly desiring this. And God's word never changes. How like. Do you know what, so, like this happened this week and it was just so profound. GQ magazine released an article that said 21 books that you no longer have to read anymore. They're outdated. They're not even good literature. I mean, like good books were on there, like To Kill a Mockingbird, like stuff like that. If you're a fan of literature, like nobody who's a fan of literature wrote this article. It's profound. It's dumb. I mean, it's just dumb, right? Guess what made the list? Number 13. The Bible. Profound, right? Here's what GQ magazine says. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intended. If the thing you heard was good about the Bible was actually the nasty bits, well, then I propose something else. Here's GQ's wisdom, okay? 
I propose Ogato Christoph's The Notebook. Why? Oh, it's a marvelous tale of two brothers who have to get along when things get rough. Do you feel the wisdom in the room right now? It's just profound, right? That's the dumbest thing I've ever read in my life, man. That's just stupid. There's nothing else to say about that. But that's what our culture is constantly saying. That to deal with the human condition, it's this. And this is the way that marriages should really work. And this is the way that sexuality should really go. And this and that. And then this underlying constant stream, this constant thread that always happens, that never changes, is the Word of God. And how profound would it be if we just actually submitted our life to that? rather than the ebb and flow of everything that's changing. And here's what we say. We say that we believe the Bible. We say that we love the Bible. But a way that you can measure that is by this question. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Huh? Do you call the people and then do you gossip about the thing and then do you complain about the... What do you do when you don't know what to do? When you need a wisdom that is outside of you. And constantly what we see through the book of Daniel is that Daniel stands and he says, This is the word of God. And the word of God solves it. The next truth that we see is this. Taking a stand will cost us something. Turn to chapter 3 there. Chapter 3. And look at verses 16 through 17. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, for they wouldn't worship. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What we see is that they live in the tension. You see, oftentimes Christians want to run from the tension and we want to choose a side. So it's this, it's Republican, it's Democrat. So we want to choose that side. But they live in the tension and they live in the world, but there comes a time where they make a stand. And they will not bow the knee. And that is true for us as Christians as well. Do you know that some of the greatest movements, how Christianity has survived, you're in Popper Bluff, Missouri right now, in church with your Bible open. And do you know how our religion started? From a homeless Jewish man over in the Middle East almost 2,000 years ago. That's nuts. That's crazy. How? How did it survive to this moment? Because there were people who were willing to take a stand. To take a stand for the message. Dr. Martin Luther King preached on this text in November 1967. And he said these words. Civil disobedience is based on a commitment to conscience. In other words, one who practices civil disobedience is obedient to what he considers a higher law. 
And there comes a time when a moral man can't obey a law which his conscience tells him is unjust. And I tell you this morning, my brothers and sisters, that history has moved on and great movements have often come forth because there were those individuals in every age and in every generation who were willing to say, I will be obedient to a higher law. And do you know what concerns me is that I see Christians who are too comfortable. Comfortable. I mean, I see Christians who feel like, oh man, the Republican Party, I have no problem. Democratic Party, oh no, man, I have no conscious problems at all whatsoever. Do you understand that our allegiance is ultimately to a king and to a kingdom? So the question is this, where am I feeling the pressure to compromise my faith? Because if you're not feeling that, then I don't know if you're in the game. If you're around non-Christians, if you're in a secular culture, if you're doing what we should be doing and infiltrating this area, there should be pressure for that. And we see that we should expect this pressure. The next profound truth that we learned was very personal. And it's that pride poisons Everything, everything in our life. Turn to chapter 4, verse 37. We see that Nebuchadnezzar has been humbled, that God has taken away his kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar professes this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And here it is. And those who walk in pride He is able to humble. We learn that that is even in and of itself a sign of God's grace. That Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, He disciplines those whom He loves. That He loves us enough that God is a loving Father. So when he tells us not to do something, he's like a loving father who doesn't want his children to hurt themselves. So whether it's sex outside of marriage or anything, he's going, no, I'm the creator. I'm a loving father and I know how this is supposed to work. And I love you enough for you to not hurt yourself. But what we do is we walk in pride. And we learn that the problem at the core of your marriage is not your spouse to complain about this and that. And the problem with the addiction at the root is not just the substance and it's not just this. Ultimately, it is pride. And if you are walking in pride, God is constantly every day as the sun rises showing you his grace all the time. And the book of Hebrews says it is the goodness and kindness of God that leads you to repentance. But if you are walking in pride and you do not bow the knee, you've got God's number and he will break your knees. And listen, He loves you enough to do it. He loves you enough to do it. Because he sees the road that you are walking down. And he has a better plan for you. I've, you know, swore that I was going to make, you know, Christian t-shirts all the time that aren't popular and that would never sell. But when I think about pride and humility, I think about those little toys, you know, that you press and then they collapse. And here's my Christian t-shirt. On the front, it will have the giraffe, and it will say, before I met Jesus. 
and then on the back it'll say, after I met Jesus, and it's just all collapsed. And here's what people say all the time. I gave my life to the Lord, and now everything's hard, and i got to work on my marriage. Yeah, here's why. Because before you met Jesus, you were an idiot. Dumb. And now what God is showing you is, wow, you're living a different way. And he's humbling you and walking you through all of these things. Listen, yes, God saves us from our sins, but God does not save us from consequences of choices that we've made. That you've made yourself. But here's how powerful he is. He can use that dumb choice that you made in your life and he can actually teach you from it and use it for your good. Pride is what poisons everything. And then the one that has stayed above all of them is this truth. That God is faithful. That is the truth that we have seen over and over and over and over again. Turn to Daniel chapter 1. Turn back to Daniel chapter 1 and look at the very last verse. Verse 21. The writer is giving us a snapshot. At the end of verse 21 it says, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Do you know how long Daniel was in Babylon? Daniel Daniel was in Babylon for almost 60 years. And he saw kings come and kings go. Wars raged and all of those things. But do you know what constantly stayed the same was the faithfulness of God. And we learned that you can't get to Daniel in the lion's den or the fiery furnace. You can't isolate those stories because you have to walk through the rest of the chapters. So no wonder Daniel, when he was facing the lion's den, could stand there and say, my God will deliver me because Daniel Daniel had seen for 60 years his God delivering him. So do you know how God can sustain you through cancer? Because he sustains you through everything else in your life as well. Do you know how God can sustain you through your marriage? Because God has sustained you through everything else in your life as well. And one commentator says it this way, Daniel 1 wants you to remember that the servants of God will simply out-endure the kingdoms of this age. The Hebrew text of verse 21 contains only seven words. Seven Hebrew words packed with dynamite. Dynamite. Listen, give your life to this because this is the one thing that will endure. And do you know who King Cyrus is? We learned about this. Daniel was, it's like a domino effect. When the people of Israel were in exile and they left their homeland, Jerusalem was in ruins. And do you know who King Cyrus is? King Cyrus issued the decree that Nehemiah and Ezra were able to go back to Jerusalem and build the wall and rebuild Jerusalem. All because Daniel is there faithfully. And if I were to close it up as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I would quote the great Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was the prime minister of Great Britain. And during the World Wars, he was actually hated in the beginning. Great Britain did not want to go to war with the Nazi party. They were in a time of affluence. They didn't want to disrupt that or any of that. And when he got elected, he knew and saw what was going to take place. And so he knew that he had to light a fire under Britain. And his very first speech 
to the house on May 13th, 1940, he says these words. I would say to the house, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however hard and long the road may be. Without victory, there is no survival. Listen, if I were to sum up the book of Daniel, I would tell you this. Daniel encourages us to go from just surviving in this world to thriving in this world. And we do that because of victory. Because our victory happened at Calvary. It already happened for us. This thing is not lost. And do you know what I thought about? What would Daniel think if he came into our worship service today? You see, Daniel prophesied. Daniel longed to see our day. Daniel prophesied about the new covenant, about Jesus who would come and fulfill all of this. And we live on this side of Calvary now. And Daniel would come in and he would see the elements at the table and he would see how faithful God has been to us. And do you know what I think Daniel would look you square in the eye and ask you, what are you so afraid of? What are you so afraid of in your life? Why are you not living this out? Why are you not going forth? God has been faithful to me in my day and he's been even more faithful to you in your day. What are you afraid of? Go. The faithfulness of God is there. So I ask you today, 2018, right now in your life, what are you afraid of? Why? Because the faithfulness of God is there. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and I pray that today fear would be replaced with faith. God, I pray that someone in here today who's been praying about having that conversation or doing that thing or stepping out in faith with the business or seeking help in their marriage or making a phone call to simply ask for help, that they would do that today. Why? Because of the profound truths that we've seen, you do and use a man, just an ordinary guy, living in a culture that was the exact opposite. And he was faithful. He wasn't perfect. God, may we change Papa Bluff. May we change our families. May we change our homes. Because we go forth and know that you don't want us to just survive and to just get by. You want us to thrive. I pray that we live differently in light of our study. We pray this all in the holy and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in communion today?